Welcome to Lady T Speaks Podcast. I'm your host, Tamika, bringing you stories of triumph and inspiration. Today's guest is a teacher and a community activist. Please welcome the lovely Charlotte Greer Brown. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm so glad. Thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. So, Ms. Greer Brown... Definitely, definitely. You are the pulse in Philadelphia and city where I reside. There are listeners from all over the country. So I just want to specify Philadelphia. I would love to hear your ideas and attitudes about the crime in Philadelphia. Tell us what you think about it. Well, I don't think it's really much to think about because from my perspective and my view, you know, growing up, in poverty situations and, and trauma, I look at it as me, it's a calling. So I don't, when you, when it's a calling, you don't think about it. It's like, what should I do about it? How do I help? But for Philadelphia, you know, we have uh, been going through this gun violence issue for decades due to generational families. Uh, back in the day, it was a gang wars. And we know that now it's some of those children who are continuing to fight. What I did find in my research is that a lot of these young people come from families where they've been fighting for years. And, you know, Philadelphia is very territorial. So it depends on where you are. You know, certain family names, you know, group names or even been interviews and documentaries on families about violence. But what happened today kind of transcended or kind of transformed for about 20 years ago. And now we are talking about young people who are exposed or living with trauma, but are exposed to social media and different influences and living in an instant gratification era. These influences at times are caused by the people who are around them. And they, they refer to them often as old heads who's there for them when they need money. So we know about systemic systems and how these things happen with our young people where they're not able to get the jobs or the career choices that most of us seek because of the color of their skin. And not to say it's an excuse, but this is the situation that they're in. So therefore, they look to the people who are around them. What I found is a lot of these young people are doing certain things for cash. For instance, like putting hits on people, individuals they don't like or maybe someone around them don't like, and they are getting paid 100 to 200 $300 for this. So when we view or when I think, and like I said, I don't think about it, I'm like, what must I do to be of help? But that's what's happening. It's an ongoing, consistent uh, way of living for them to survive. And then the other ones are like just doing it just to be doing it. Now, we're not going to say it's not stemmed from anywhere, but this is where we are with the gun violence in the city and our young people. And they don't really, they just want to, they want their target. So that means if you're in the way, you get shot. So if that's a mental issue, then so be it. But that's what's happening. A real statement and definitely a major one coming from you. I just want to add the listeners, not only are you just a teacher and a community activist, you're actually former PA state legislative assistant to Representative Thomas. 
You also received your 22nd Police District Award. It was a Town Watch and Community Service Award. So not only are you in the community engaged, but you are impactful in your engagement. I want to thank you for that. It's my service. It's my duty, and you're so welcome. It's a passion. I, I really love doing what I do. I can get paid nickels and dimes and pennies just to do this. So it, it's, it's not even about the pay. You know, it's, it's about making sure we are, are making sure the future, the future, and those are our children, our young people, are established and well taken care of. That's right. Another topic I would like to discuss with you is the upcoming presidential election. So basically, you are part of a series for my podcast, which I like to interview politicians. I want your input on the situation, what you think, how you feel about the current state of voter affairs in the sense that people, I feel like, are in limbo about who to vote for, should they even vote, the craziness that's going on with the postmaster general picking up the mailboxes, the mail-in ballots. What are your thoughts about that? Do you know anything about perseverance, consistency, determination? When you're confronted with something and you, you feel, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in Jesus Christ. Those are the things that's motivated me to do what I'm doing. Jesus was the biggest advocate. I'm an ambassador of him. So that's I'm going to start out with that. And whenever something is presented to you to be a deterrent, you have to keep pressing on. That's what I was taught and brought up to do. So I will tell people all of those determinants that's in the way, those distractions, you cannot, you must not let that allow you to not vote. You must not allow the distractions of the social media to get in your way. And as of right now, I have a badge on that says I must vote. And believe it or not, that is my attest. And when people see me, I'm like a walking billboard. So I promote all day long. So I will never tell people not to vote. But what I will tell them with this Biden and uh, Kamala Harris, and I'm voting. I'm Listen, I'm voting for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I want to tell people is do your research, do your homework, be a part of voter registration. Make sure that you know who they are. If you have any issues or challenges with the past of this vice president and this president to be and the vice president to be, then you need to make sure that you are at the table of decision decision making when they become president and vice president. We know all of the social issues and everything that is wrong. And we're learning about more, put it that way. So while we know what is wrong, we need more solutions. We need to spend more time on solutions. So when they become the president and vice president, what are we going to do to make things better or to help them move things along? That's what we need to be focusing on. Right. I like that you're putting out there, you know, hey, be at the table. If you have so much to say about their background and want to critique and criticize be at the table helping to either make the decisions or facilitate the proper movement forward. I think that's what we're getting in a lot. And like I said, social media is really interfering with that and we need to stay focused. You know, if we're saying that our country is at a critical, most critical point in this history and we making all these historical 
events, you know, we're creating these historical things, then we need to make sure that we are, we have people who are at the table who know what to do in those areas of expertise to be decision makers, to help the country move along. And, you know, we know it starts with local. Thank you for your input on that. Moving on to the recent uh, police shooting in, I believe it's Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm sure you've heard about the story, but in the world of Black Lives Matter movement, now the NBA is protesting as a result. So people have some mixed reviews about it. So people are still wanting to protest. Protesters are being shot. Still, I guess, believing that some of the things that are being done answer to what's going on may be effective, may not be effective. I've heard people criticize the NBA for making this stance of canceling the NBA season. However, the NBA season is already canceled due to coronavirus. So what impact did you really make? So I just wonder, what are your thoughts about that? I don't know if you saw. Are you on social media? Facebook? Yes. Yes, I'm on Facebook. Instagram. for some reason, reason, I have picked up on a few followers, maybe a few couple thousands or more. And I'm receiving comments and inboxes and direct messages on Instagram about the topics that I put out there in regards to this. Okay. One of the interesting things that I found when George Floyd was killed by police brutality, people were already frustrated and outraged from COVID-19. So that coupled it. And the reason I'm bringing it up because it's the mental health part that I told you about. People are, uh, especially African-American, we are recovering from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We are recovering. We're trying to recover because I can't even say we're recovering because we are dealing with trauma on top of trauma. And to know mentally and be taught that we are a part of a systemic system that cares, don't care anything about us on top of of dealing with the pressures of COVID-19 and almost losing everything and then both police brutality, you would expect for an outrage to be the way it, it was. So now we're thinking people will die down. They will forget. After George Floyd, no one will talk about it. You know, it's not like it go away, but we won't talk about it. Then we have Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back. And thank God he's living. From my understanding, he'll be paralyzed for the rest of his life. You know, and he gets gunned down in, in Wisconsin from doing a good deed. And then you think these officers know the climate and the tension that we are going through due to George Floyd and previous prehistoric things that have happened to the African-American community. You're not thinking. So anything that we said or done or protested or looted or whatever we've done, it almost like it went out the window. So can you imagine how citizens are feeling, especially African-American and those who are, I call them my counterpart sisters and brothers who are with us, which are the white, people who, or the non-African-American who are supporting us. You know, we all feel like it went out the window. So we feel like it's a harder fight now because you didn't get it the first time. So it should further let people understand that this systemic system has to be torn down, dismantled, and is more than a defund police. It's more than defunding police 
And we have to make sure that we put people in positions where we can, again, be the decision makers and have a seat at the table. Because we have so many things to discuss. We have things like rules of engagement, know your rights, education, knowing our history, our stories, African-American, where we come from, implementing them in school, changing education. I mean, through and through, if you think about it, even all the certificates that we have on the wall for evidence-based organizations, what they really created for us. We have to learn from each other and we have to build an economic structure. The only way that we'll be able to exist and live, and I can't even say comfortably, but to live and exist in this time and this era is if we build an economic structure. So we need to be putting things like that in place for that. I cannot imagine the trauma back to Jacob Blake, you know, that his son's will be dealing with after seeing their dad be gunned down for getting out doing a good deed. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why our young people find it so hard to get out and want to do something good because they'll grow up and know that the color of their skin and no matter what they do, it's possible that harm could come their way. That's a hard pill to swallow. Definitely. I feel horrible for those children and for all of our kids to be witness to these crazy times in the current state that the world is in right now. All right. So Mrs. Charlotte Greer Brown, let's get into who you are. Who is this wonderful woman that's gracing us with so much philanthropy, community activism, and all the wonderful things that you've done. I like to start off with, you know, just talking about, you know, your early beginnings, where you grew up, where you're from, you know, what was like for you growing up, you know, your siblings, your parents, et cetera. Explain that to us. You're looking at the woman with the same eyes, <laughs> long ponytail, sitting in Indian style, living in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where it almost never got cold until we fell into this climate disaster. But yes, and grew up the oldest in my immediate family, uh, five siblings and a mother and a father who did the best they could uh, living in housing. You know, I tell people this is the housing issue that most of us went through growing up is across the board. It's a national crisis. So at one point in time, we were almost homeless. My mother had five children, well, four at the time and one in the stomach. So I had my dad, unfortunately, was running a fortune, uh, running a good, good company, stealing drums then in Tennessee. And he was the manager and uh, he got caught up with some colleagues and he ended up doing drugs. And that took us all the way down to the bottom of the barrel as far as living, you know, uh, like the American dream. I had to become a mother to my mom. And my mom suffered with the mental health challenges after that because I don't know if you're familiar with the South, but the husband is the breadwinner. He's the one who does everything. And it's almost like the mother is the, the housewife, you know, domestic yeah. worker, I call it, you know. Yeah. And uh, so <clears throat> my mom couldn't do for herself. And I saw how my siblings were lacking. I'll never forget the day that, you know, it was almost like I could see each one of our rib cages showing in our bodies and we didn't have anything to eat. So I made sure that I put myself in a position. I think I was 13, 14 
So then you could work at 14 or 14 and a half. So I got a job at 15 years old and I started helping my mother out and I worked and went to school. And that was the gist of my life. And seeing my siblings grow up, my baby sister, especially, it clicked on me early on. My childhood was cut short to look out for family. I had one brother who was all girls. Of course, my brother was spoiled. He was underneath me, but my baby sister was like a seeker for knowledge. So I taught her three grades ahead of everything that I I did. And she became the valedictorian of her high school. In her speech, she talked about me. And it was such an honor. It's almost bringing me to tears because I it was think I'm thinking back on how we could be an impact on those around us. And it was that day that I knew I had to do something different. And I was in my 20s then. And one day I went on a spiritual quest of fasting and praying and asking God, where do I fit in this world? I know I'm supposed to do something, a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer. Like I heard all these things growing up, but, you know, you have a mother who dropped out of school to take care of her mom. So it was a generational repeating cycle and I didn't want to fall into it. I wanted to be the one to say, not be the hero, but the first generation. So my sister went to college and for some reason something happened and she couldn't get through. So I uh, later on found out through spiritual guidance that I will be moving to Philadelphia, which is the headquarters of my church. We have a for us, by us and organization. We're not a denomination, but our churches is all over the world and we are black owned. So that's another inspiration. I'm coming to Philadelphia. I came to Philadelphia. I got married to one of the ministers of music here, Thomas Brown. And he inspired me. He said, you like to do civic engagement. You like to deal with people. Go to school for political science and government. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, what does a political science do? And, you know, I read up on it. And I said, oh, yeah, this is me, civic engagement. And I wasn't thinking about the political side of it. It was more civic. The rest of the story is history. You know, I received my degree. You got to remember, because I became, because I was a second mom, I had a late education. So I'm in school at 26 years old. I think I had my pharmaceutical uh, license to be a farm tech. But while I was working to be a farm tech, I was getting my bachelor's degree in political science and government. In 2014, I received my BA. I was going to go on to get my master's in public service, but I had the opportunity of a lifetime, which to work for the former state representative, Curtis Thomas. And I started out as a community person working in uh, something called Community Back Care, which I facilitated for six years and made a positive impact throughout the city of Philadelphia in five different areas. Once I did that, he brought me on and hired me on in 2015. And I became, I went from community outreach to executive director until he found him another executive, uh, executive director. And when he retired, I ran for that seat. Due to the pandemic, I withdrew, which was recently. And then I just continued my community activism work. I was doing community activism all alone while I was working for him and before him. So after that happened, I decided to become a teacher so that I could be a shero in the classroom. And I worked with middle school, high school, and elementary, and I stayed with the middle school. So for a year as a teacher up until the pandemic. And here I am now, 
fighting for my community and living what they call American dream, but without forgetting who I am as an individual and where I come from. Simply amazing. I love this story. I love it. Let me just say, I've spent some time in Chattanooga and I just want to tell people who've never been there. I feel like it is such a beautiful place. I feel like if I remember correctly, Chattanooga is in a valley. And on top of the valley or on top of the mountain is Nashville. Would that be accurate? On the other side. Yeah, we're two hours away. Right. And I just thought it was such a beautiful place, something different. I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. So being in Chattanooga was actually um, a really beautiful contrast to being here. And I appreciate that. And, you know, our trials make us strong. The fact that you were in, you were in position to empower your sister, the fact that you took a chance and came here and was able to empower the residents and the community members here speaks volumes to who you are as a person, your character, your integrity and everything. So thank you for your service. Yes, you're welcome. Um, Like I said, when I think about where I come from. And yes, Chattanooga is a beautiful place. It's such a small place, but what people don't know is it's hidden secrets, systemic systems, you know, predominantly white. And we, 170,000 population the last time before the census, probably like 2018. That was the last census that I got. So we come, I come from a very small place where uh, there's not many opportunities for a black, a little black girl or a black woman like myself and not along a woman. I really believe that God ventured me out and said, you have a bigger platform. You're going to, I had a vision that I was going to empower people. The vision that came was, I don't know if you know the story, but it was uh, the story of Esther. And uh, it came to me in a vision that I would be standing on a hill and there would be many people below me with lights. And I was a big light on the hill. And that was before I moved to Philadelphia. And it it amazes me how I see that coming into flourishing. So it is an honor to serve people. It is one of the highest honors to me to be of servitude. You know, it's a ministry for me more than anything. I'm a humble servant and I will continue to be no matter where or what position I'm in. I'll always reach back reach up, reach down, reach around, reach forward to help those who are in need. That's right. So let's talk about um, the Elite 30 Association and Coalition. Tell us about your movement. So it pretty much started in my mind consciously in 2016, and I did not start to operate in it until the end of that year. In 2017, I called a bunch of community people who I had been working with, and they're grassroots on the ground. I decided not to do a nonprofit because I had learned what nonprofits are when I worked for the state. And I had my bias, but I won't go into that today, but I didn't want to be a 501c3. I wanted to help those who had 501c3, prepare them to get grants and money and prepare them to be professional and to be the best servants they could be. So I titled myself an empowerment and support service specialist. And what I do is I come in and help organizations with structure and organize. And on the consultant side, I may be able to show them how to connect with people on a lower ground, lower level with more intimate 
services. But that's what I decided to do. So I grew from like 10 organizations to now I may be at 60 plus nonprofits, small businesses, African-American small businesses, nonprofits or for-profits or people who just starting up a coalition who I partner with and they're my community partners. So we, I've grown and now I'm taking things to a another level. I decided that I'm going to now build and prepare to build for a community hub for all of these grassroots nonprofits to be in a building so that we can have a one-stop shop. Nice. But that's underway. Beautiful. Where can people find you? Do you have a website, social media? I will give my website, but you can always find me on Facebook. Most people who know me love to find me there. So you can always go to like uh, www.facebook.com forward slash the elite number 30 and AC. If you type that in, www.facebook.com forward slash the elite number 30 ac and my page will come right up and you will find me there do you have any other social media handles yes that and like? so you can also find me on youtube under team charlotte greer so if you go to youtube and subscribe to my channel team charlotte greer under youtube and on instagram l-i-l-g-i-a-n-t 47 and there's a story behind it i'm such a little person smaller statue but to many others, I do such big things, including my husband, who I love dearly, who's, who's been the driving force behind it all. He called me Little Giant. So I use that name. The community called me Little Giant or Little Mama. <laughs> oh, wow. So you'll see Little Mama, Little Giant. You know, he, always, he just encouraged me that you could see further than a giant if you stand on the shoulders. And he was that giant. So I use that. Little Giant, L-I-L-G-I-A-N-T 47 on Instagram. Wonderful. So all the links to Charlotte's social media handles will be included in the description of this episode. So once again, Charlotte, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time out your busy schedule to come on this platform, tell us your ideas, and just show us the amazing person you are and the amazing work that you're doing in the community. Please keep it up. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the opportunity. It has to be an amazing person behind this phone to highlight people who are doing great things in the community. So I want to thank you at this time. We need more of you out there to highlight so people can know that there's still hope and there's people out there doing the best they can to make us a better country. For sure. Thank you for saying that. And you are listening to Lady T Speaks. 